Welcome, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to yeah, this third part of our uh, podcast series uh, organized together with Netcetra, um, where we'll cover uh, risk topics with uh, different guests on the show. Um, today, it's time for part three, where we'll talk about uh, authentication and payment security in the APAC region. My name is uh, Rogier Roep van der Voort. I am the CEO of a company called PCN, and we provide recruitment services for the payments and fintech space uh, specifically. But we also have a weekly podcast called In Check with Fintech, which you might be tuning into, and these video series, which will be published on uh, or are published on YouTube. I'm joined today by two honored guests. The first one is Nitin Palande. He's currently the head of sales and partnerships APAC for Netcetra. Um, and also Gautam Pandey, who's the product management identity solutions for Asia Pacific at MasterCard. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks, Roger, for having Thank us. You. Thank you so, for having us. Who was better to introduce themselves than the people who we're talking about, right? So, uh, Nitin, can I ask you to maybe give a short introduction to our viewers and listeners? Sure. Thanks, Roger. So, um, like Roger mentioned, my name's Nitin. I head sales and partnerships at Netcetra here in APAC. A quick background about Netcetra, we were established in 1996 out of Switzerland. Today we operate uh, obviously in the European side, but also in the Middle East and Africa and then APAC. Uh, we interconnect the payment ecosystem, uh, which means that on one side we work with issuers, whether legacy banks, digital banks, neobanks. And on the other side, we of course work with the payment service providers, payment gateways, acquirers and large merchants. And in between, of course, uh, we have the card networks that we work with very, very closely. Our business is, if I were to encapsulate it, is secure digital payments. Great. Thank you very much. Gautam, over to you. Uh, yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, really delighted to join this uh, session today. Um, I will take the cue from Nitin. Uh, I work in, in security space. Uh, in identity solutions, to be more specific, um, and and my primary focus is uh, to work on products uh, for card authentication flows, and um, I'm yeah working with Netcetra and and other ecosystem players to make sure that uh, we have a robust uh, digital authentication experience for Mastercard cardholders. Great. Well, excited to to have you both, and uh, yeah, I think who better than to discuss uh, payment security with than uh, than with both of you. Um, so maybe let's start with so part of a payments flow is obviously authentication, right? It's quite key to any payment flow. Um, Nitin, let me start with you. Uh, why authentication? So look, when it comes to online and mobile commerce, right, the need for, I would say, transaction authentication has never been greater. Uh, global spending on e-commerce has reached close to $6 trillion and a growth of almost 30 odd percent. But losses from illegal purchases using stolen credit cards and numbers are growing nearly fast. Uh, what banks and card issuers, merchants, processors use, you know, different forms of authentication to protect themselves from fraudulent transactions and chargebacks. So what essentially a payment authentication does is it validates who a user is. Uh, you can think of payment authentication as having a key to the front door. Uh, so for example, you know, payment authentication could include one-time pins, which is code sent via text, email or phone call. Uh, it could use uh, authentication apps, which essentially generate uh, secure codes that change every few minutes. And now more and more, we see things like biometrics, 
which is you know your fingerprint, a retinal scan, facial recognition, etc. But you know authentication must be accurate uh, and seamless to prevent chargebacks, and that's where what we see happening today within the industry is layering. So you use multiple different authentication factors to get the right sort of uh, result that you want. Right, Gautam, do you agree or anything to add to that? hundred uh, percent. So um, there is data to prove that strong cardholder authentication drives a safer online payment experience for consumers, right? And uh, the authentication standards have also evolved over the years. Uh, there, there is access to um, better standards uh, to make sure um, the transaction is authenticated silently if there is a need uh, for that uh, without interrupting the whole cardholder uh, payment experience. So I, I completely agree. Um, strong cardholder authentication has three principles, knowledge, possession, and inheritance. So uh, in most of the markets, uh, one of the other interpretation of, of that uh, typically gets played, played out in uh, uh, in AP. And um, we see a distinct shift from, as Nathan was mentioning, from additional factor of authentication to multi-factor authentication because we're all connected and you know, it's, it's connected commerce resulting in a connected authentication story. Uh, so there is a distinct shift that we see in many markets today of moving to multi-factor authentication than just relying on additional factor authentication. Yeah, and I think a form of multi-factor authentication is 3D secure, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's, that's one. So what's on the roll is is the 3DS1 uh, decommissioning. What are the dates and what are the key considerations for that? Yeah, um, I'm glad you uh, asked that. So 3DS1 is on the path of decommission for MasterCard Identity Check Program. Um, it is planned for a decommission on 18th of October this year. Um, with that, um, and there's an exception in India and Bangladesh, there's uh, you know, certain exceptions, but that's the only two countries where uh, 3DS1 will continue for one more year. Um, everywhere else, it get, it's getting decommissioned on 18th October. What it means is that we, we it's time for the entire ecosystem to migrate to EMV 3DS as a protocol. We started on this journey uh, way back in 2018 when we started announcing uh, onboarding of um, our uh, customers on EMV3DS platform. Uh, we currently support two protocols. Uh, these are protocol versions 2.1 and 2.2. And um, our strong recommendation to all customers is to process 100% of the volume on EMV3DS and, um, and completely um, move away from 3DS1, um, if not they've already done. Because India and Bangladesh are still on 3DS1, or they will remain on 3DS1 for an, another year. The customers in, in these countries have an option to use 3DS1, but they obviously can use EMV 3DS as well. But um, just to the nature of the landscape uh, in, in those countries, we, uh, we continue to support 3DS1. Uh, but we actively encourage um, even customers in, in these countries to use EMV3DS as the preferred method of uh, completing the authentication. Makes sense. Nathan, what do you see are the key considerations for that decommissioning? Yeah, no, look, I think uh, when, you, um, when you look at 3DS1 versus 3DS2, uh, the shift to 3DS2 is very, very compelling. 
Uh, I have a couple of points just around that. I am totally aligned uh, on what Gautam said, you know, with the dates and why that exemption was given uh, essentially to countries like uh, Bangladesh uh, and India. But uh, going back to the reasons of why that shift needs to happen, number one is 3DS2 gives you a very, very streamlined user experience. And the frictionless flow is one of the main advantages of 3DS2. Uh, number two, you can think about 3DS2 giving you higher approval rates uh, where merchants send extensive data regarding each transaction, which allows the issuer to determine whether or not to challenge that transaction. Uh, robust security, I would say, is the third reason in terms of why the move to 3DS2. Uh, and again, you know, strong authentication methods like uh, token-based or biometric authentication happens. Um, I guess, you know, both from our business perspective, whether it's MasterCard or Netcetera, increased conversion. That is definitely what we would like to see uh, and a significant reduction in what we call cart abandonment. Um, a liability shift, I think that's a big one where merchants will le uh, reap off the benefits of additional protection thanks to the liability shift that happens uh, where the liability of fraud shifts to the issuer. Just to summarize then, Nitin, so um, higher acceptance, card abandonment, uh, change the liability for the issuer, compliance, those are really important facets in order to be successful with 3DS2, yeah? And those are the compelling reasons why, you know, the push to 3DS2 is happening. Makes sense, yeah. Is, is it, um, is there an educational components to all this? I mean, do merchants, do consumers need to be informed and educated on why 3DS, uh, well, I guess maybe consumers not necessarily because if merchants start using it, then consumers will automatically start using it. But do merchants see the benefit of, of using it or do you see reluctance uh, of any form? Um, speaking of maybe Southeast Asia, um, uh, we definitely see a lot of PSPs, a lot of uh, payment service providers, payment gateways, and large merchants already having moved to 3DS2 and above. They definitely see uh, why this was necessary. Um, obviously, like I said, you know, they want higher conversion rates, they want lesser of cart abandonment. So the benefits uh, are there to see. Uh, both the, so MasterCard has also been doing a lot of education around that. We ourselves from an et cetera perspective have been going out to market, whether it is webinars, seminars, podcasts like these, uh, LinkedIn uh, and educating uh, the, the merchants, PSPs, payment gateways as to why this is necessary. And I think that message has seen through for most of the countries, I would say. There could still be a few stragglers, but I think they will still they will be able to catch up very quickly. Guys, do you see the same? Is there certain countries who are more open to it than others or not? Uh, yeah, I think the adoption curve played out, right? Uh, and having been involved in this right from 2018, I, I can see that uh, that there were certain countries which were early adopters of this uh, the standard, uh, clearly saw the merit in kind of moving to the standard and kind of improving the whole digital commerce experience. Um, I would agree to uh, Nathan's comments that we've reached a steady state uh, of adoption in most markets. Um, it is um, with the decommission in 3ds1 we recognize that there is there is a hard stop, 
and um, we are engaging with with our ecosystem players, merchants, acquirers, issuers uh, through again very similar um, you know engagement formats such as um, our academy on web platforms, one on one workshops, and um, you know market level webinars and sessions, and and of course sessions like these. Right, so um, there is uh, awareness that. And it's it's not new, right? It's it's been in the making for four years. So um, there is work that the ecosystem has put in in terms of building awareness. Uh, the standards are well understood, at least by uh, the 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 teams who are kind of working on the core software uh, part of it. And um, now I think it's it's reached a stage where we're talking about evolution of these standards, right? So there are different protocols that are getting published. Right? So. Uh, the baseline uh, adoption curve, um, I, I would agree with Nitin that that's been achieved, and it's time for us to kind of now look forward to uh, future-looking technologies and how that baseline experience can be further improved. So, how can a merchant or a PSP then optimize their transaction success rates? Yes, yeah, that's a very interesting question. That's something that often gets debated in 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 one-on-one conversations, right? So. Um, my typical advice would be to kind of first understand the entire transaction lifecycle, and uh, without just leaving the technical aspect aside, right? We just kind of map. Uh, there's authentication, authorization, followed by clearing and settlement. Right? Those are broadly how a transaction lifecycle runs through. As I mentioned, in many markets, authentication is a merchant choice, merchant or an acquirer choice. Um, recommended to use authentication most of the time. Um, in authentication, typically the abandonment is uh, usually seen uh, when the cardholder is stepped up, right? And it's due to two reasons: a, you're redirecting to a different environment, right? And there's you know technical reasons why that redirect could lead to an abandonment. And the second one is if the cardholder awareness is is not enough, uh, the cardholder kind of jumps out of that um, step up process, right? There is also um, instances of um, uh, just the connectivity, the technical connectivity um, is not robust, right? Uh, which leads to um, abandonment in, even before a transaction could be reviewed by the issuer. Uh, we have, with the understanding of, of you know what could lead to abandonment, and uh, thankfully with the way the message is constructed now, there are technical identifiers which the merchants or their payment service providers like etc can advise to merchants on uh, really having a good understanding of why the transaction is getting dropped off right and once they have a good understanding of that uh, in our experience usually it's a it's an easier solve if it's technical right it's it's, it's, if it's just a matter of coding change it's much easier um, if it's behavioral right if the type of customer that's coming on online uh, for a certain uh, line of business um, doesn't like um, to be stepped up, then there must be some cardholder education awareness. Uh, that can be done um, on the merchant environment or on the issuer environment, right? So um, that's that's broadly how uh, an abandonment gets uh, addressed in authentication. In authorization, you know, the transaction comes for final issuer decision, right? And in that, um, what we've been attempting to do is provide a holistic view to the issuer of the transaction if it's gone through authentication. So we uh, look at a concept called dynamic linking, right? So we link the authentication insights and deliver that to the issuer um, during authorization. So all those insights are available to the issuer for making the best authorization decision. 
um the other thing that we often recommend to merchants is to um look through the decline reason codes right and have a better understanding of uh why the transaction was declined to decide what the retry it strategy could be right um it could be declined due to financial reasons that has a very different call to action and if it's declined due to non financial reasons is it life cycle is it is it security or a policy decline right so there are some changes that we've done in the way we message this information back to acquirers and hopefully to merchants uh to help them define you know what their retry strategy can be right so it's a it's a combination of uh optimization in the authentication stage with you know working with the experts just to see you know what can what can be done better right and uh, it begins with having a kpi for abandonment right so are we measuring those abandonment rates today and once we we've gone through the authentication cycle authentication transaction um usually will have a better approval rate than a non authenticated transaction so there's already an approval rate lift that is baked in and then you know for the transactions that are getting declined an analysis of why the transaction got declined usually helps the merchant uh, or the acquirer uh, to kind of plan a, a good retry strategy so the transaction success rate is basically dependent on one authentication and two authorization right and authentication is all about the the main uh, the core of authentication yeah. is the experience and of authorization you didn't mention it but i can imagine it's probably speed right for customers it's and for uh, merchants it matters how quickly can you authorize a payment um is that fair to say yeah at the end of the day everything uh, is financial messages getting exchanged um at uh, you know at um and and there needs to be decision making uh, which needs to be automated mostly right Uh, whether it's authentication or authorization, but um, to define a transaction success rate, it's essentially you know often also called as full funnel conversion rate by merchants, which essentially means that um, I I want to really map um, you know how the customer journey was right from the time that the card got finalized, right? So uh, and we can attribute the drop off to authentication or authorization, but it's important to have that. full visibility across all transaction life cycle um to kind of then decide what's the optimum way to um uh, to um, redesign the entire uh, approach right so uh, hope that helps uh, bring some clarity definitely yeah and part of authentication or type of authentication also risk based authentication right nitin so how what is it and how does it improve intelligence in in payment messages Sure. So this the new version of this protocol supports uh, you know the new payment methods and functionalities and is designed in a way to cover new arising payment methods. So the cardholders, bank, and other stakeholders can use this information to assess the risk level of the transaction in milliseconds. Uh, the so-called risk-based authentication. So if the risk score is high, uh, the available data suggests with a high probability. that the transaction is being initiated uh, is not being initiated by a legitimate card holder and the bank should decide to further verify the transaction sending it to a step up flow uh, if the risk score is low then the transaction data in combination with behavioral analysis and profiles uh, indicates that there is a high probability that the that a legitimate card holder is making the purchase and the issuer can send the transaction through a frictionless flow 
So, uh, you know, there is more than 100 plus data fields that are uh, essentially being analyzed, uh, which helps uh, essentially the banks, the merchants, the PSPs, the issuers uh, make more sort of confident decisions. Um, so, from a, if you look at a pure uh, purchase sort of perspective, browser-based transaction information such as IP browser device information can be sent using the 3DS2 protocol. For app-based transactions, for instance, app information uh, can be sent through, uh, which is gathered by the sort of SDKs. Um, and with you know 3D uh, 3DS2. Uh, merchants can provide order details such as shopping basket information, purchase amount, currency code, consumer details, all of that, which essentially is driving, you know, like I said, you know, very fast uh, sort of authentication uh, in in terms of this. And that's where this, this whole risk-based authentication plays a very, very important role uh, in, in terms of e-commerce going forward. Gautam, do you agree? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's the foundation of, of, of EMV3DS, if I may use that term. Um, the foundation is that there must be rich contextual data that can exchange using the EMV3DS phase, right? So um, there is information about the connection, the cardholder, um, and the merchant that is all packaged in the EMV3DS message um, and, and delivered to the issuer. Um, to help issuers make the best authentication decisions, uh, MasterCard has uh, um, enabled a service called Smart Authentication, which is our risk-based authentication score um, that's delivered to every issuer on every EMB3DS authentication request, payment authentication request. Um, it essentially is a, a risk submission or a summary of um, of our determination of that transaction based on our AI and machine learning model. And it is eventually uh, designed to help improve the whole cardholder experience because less risky transactions are not required to be stepped up, right? As Nathan mentioned. So, uh, and, and once there is a good robust risk score at an industry level, um, it can be benchmarked very easily, right? Because the fraud, the reported fraud can, can very easily help feedback the model if the model is, is not working as expected, right? So uh, that's pretty foundational to to this upgrade from 3DS1 to EMV3DS. So risk-based authentication creates a risk score, basically, which then populates the payment method messages in order to make a better informed decision. Yeah, yes. so it's essentially um, a risk score, which is which can be delivered to issuers in, in, in a couple of ways, but it helps the issuer to decide uh, am I comfortable in frictionlessly authenticating the consumer? Because I've seen either this consumer or uh, a cohort of similar transactions before, which has not resulted in um, you know high fraud. Right. So I'm I'm comfortable in taking that um, decision uh, without challenging the cardholder. Right. So that's the essence of risk-based authentication. Nitin, what are what are typical parameters that are looked at in such a risk score? So uh, in such a risk score, so if, if uh, you could look at uh, obviously the IP address uh, where the consumer is shopping from, uh, you could look at whether their billing address is the same as their shipping address. Uh, you could look at is this person's normal transaction below a certain threshold or is this amount really, really high? Um, you, you could look at maybe even things like, you know, is this the normal time that the consumer normally shops? 
So there is a multitude of data, over 200 fields, uh, essentially that uh, brings uh, this score up, uh, which essentially just helps uh, you know issuers, uh, etc., uh, in in terms of whether thinking in terms of hey should we challenge this or should we just get the consumer to go through a frictionless flow. So 200 parameters looked at in milliseconds, right? Absolutely. That's so cool. Yeah, nice. Uh, great, Gautam, back to you. So in terms of the um, their device biometrics as well, right? How, how is that used to improve the authentication experience? Yeah, that's one part that we're really excited about. Um, as consumers, we, I think, are getting more accustomed to using device biometrics uh, for not just payments, but even for our regular banking transactions. And um, there are a couple of ways in which biometrics can uh, potentially be used in 3DS authentication. Uh, one is uh, when such an authenticator is deployed um, at the issuer end, right? And uh, when the transaction reaches the issuer, the issuer decides to use uh, a mobile app based biometric authentication service, right? So that's one way of doing it. It's called out of band authentication. Um, the the other and, and, and perhaps a, a a better architected way of, of doing this is delegated authentication where biometric within the merchant environment is used to authenticate the cardholder, right? And how does that function or work? It essentially is um, a combination of 3DS rails and another standard called Fast Identity Online, FIDO, um, which, is, which is essentially now part of EMV 3DS 2.2 protocol. Um, with the with the with these two standards converging at an industry level, what it allows um, us to do is essentially curate an experience where trans cardholder is not required to be redirected to an issuer environment to verify himself. Uh, the cardholder can use uh, device biometrics within the merchant environment and and choose the merchants where he wants such an experience. Right. So as a consumer, if I have um, I pre-identified certain merchants where I'm comfortable in using biometric for checkout? Um, I can use the service, right? So it's, it's called Identity Check Express, which you know will um, will be available in in select AP countries in uh, during the course of this year. That's really cool. Nitin, anything to add there? Yeah, no. Look, um, I, I, I was looking at uh, some figures, and there was a recent study. I think it was from Juniper Research, and that predicts that mobile biometrics will authenticate something like two trillion uh, in remote and in-store payments in 2023. Wow! And that is up from an estimated 124 billion in 200 and, uh, in 2018. Um, it also estimates, you know, that over 80% of smartphones will have some form of biometric hardware by 2023. So that is definitely uh, where we're going in the, uh, in the future. And then, of course, you know, like to what Gautam said, uh, there are multitude of advantages of biometrics in payments. One is, of course, high security. Uh, the advantage is that they allow you to prove your identity using characteristics that are unique to you. Uh, since the data is something of who you are, uh, it's much likely uh, to be forgotten, stolen, or forged. Uh, in contrast to something that uh, you use, like you know, or something like you possess, like a document or a card. 
that's number one uh, number two would be i think increased uh, customer experience because i think biometrics and at least also in our experience uh, we have seen um, there's a very low level of friction than passwords uh, using biometric authentication for payments is quick and convenient users don't have to remember pins passwords etc and then i think going forward is definitely a competitive edge for business right because uh, it provides better security it, the moment you provide better security the customer trust in a business increases when that happens it's a business opportunity essentially to drive uh, this consumer behavior and keep consumers coming back for more so definitely i think that's a future and that's just going to keep on growing in leaps and bounds I think if you talk about the invisibility of payments, as I like to call it, being the consumer having no idea what's happening when you actually do a payment, right? This is even more invisible. I mean, I have no idea of how strongly I press my phone or how I go over my phone and that it's all saved and being used for these kind of purposes, I think is uh, yeah, just amazing. I mean, the future is now. Um, and you have multiple types coming, right? I mean, with, with most phones, we use the fingerprint, but now you have facial recognition, you have iris scans, and who knows what the future will bring. Absolutely, yeah. Great, guys. Um, before we close off, uh, Gauta, let me first ask you, any closing remarks, key takeaways from today's session? Yeah, uh, one would be a gentle reminder on the 3DS 1D commission. It's uh, an important industry milestone. And uh, we would really want the ecosystem to be um, ready to, to make this change if they have not done it. The, the other point is that the standards will continue to evolve. And these standards, um, and there's an industry level effort to make sure that um, with every version of this protocol, uh, there is more um, there's an ability for a cardholder to verify themselves uh, with as less friction as possible. Right? So uh, you'll hear us talk about you know some of the industry standards like Pass Identity Online that I referred to. Uh, we are very excited to kind of bring biometric mainstream and card authentication with such capability, and um, we we see that as um, as the key anchor for the next few years in terms of how digital authentication will be done. Great, thank you. Nitin, any closing remarks or key takeaways? No, I think, uh, I mean, like whatever Gautam said, totally agree there. And I'll start off with the other end. Uh, also, like Gautam mentioned, biometrics, we're definitely going to see more and more use of that. Uh, customers can verify themselves using fingerprint, face, voice recognition. Um, definitely, we see adaptability, you know, support for in-app authentication um, and ensure that, you know, your challenge screens, etc., cetera, uh, compatibility with mobile devices. Uh, but overall, I think, you know, uh, 3DS2 uh, is going to uh, essentially be a game changer. Uh, we, we, we hope to see a significant reduction in sort of cart abandonment rates. Um, we because and we definitely want to see higher approval rates because of this extensive data uh, that is being generated through each transaction, which gives every participant you know a view in terms of what this uh, transaction is, uh, high risk, low risk. Uh, do we need to sort of step up uh, and challenge this, etc. And then of course you know frictionless flow. Uh, I would say that would be uh, also one of the main advantages, but 
these standards are going to keep evolving as e-commerce grows. So yeah, so thanks guys. I think 3DS, if my main takeaway is there to support the future of e-commerce, right? Whether it's uh, increasing the performance for the cardholders uh, or the experience, sorry, for the cardholders uh, or giving uh, better approval rates, less chargebacks, less frauds for the uh, for the merchants and the issuers. Um, it's there to, uh, to support that. Um, great to have you both. Thanks for being here, sharing your views on the show. I, I hope it's been helpful as well to our viewers and, and listeners, um, whichever platform you're tuning in on. And thanks for listening and viewing to this episode uh, of the Netcetra Risk series. So this is part three. So if you haven't listened to or seen part one and two, then I definitely recommend to go out and look at that on YouTube, uh, Spotify, um, Apple iTunes or any of your podcast platforms that you're using and look for InCheck with Fintech and then the Net Cetera Risk series. Um, thanks again, guys. Um, watch this space. Uh, it's been great to have you on the show um, and see you soon. Thanks, Roger. Thank thanks, you. Bye. Bye.